Hello and welcome again to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre, lecturer in literature at Campion College. In 1979, a then-unknown first-time director, George Miller, and a relatively unknown actor, Mel Gibson, delivered to the world Mad Max, a gritty, micro-budget, grindhouse-inflected film centred on the carnage, both physical and psychological, of a motor patrol cop in a lawless, dystopian future. The plot was so thinly drawn as to be nearly incoherent, and its tone was so unsettling that some reviewers at the time regarded it as vile. But the vehicular chaos struck a nerve in the viewing audience, making it the most profitable Australian film ever made. Two years later, Mad Max 2 became a sensation internationally, and in 1985 the series rounded out a pseudo-trilogy with Beyond Thunderdome. Thirty years later, the series returned with something of a soft reboot, and the role of Max Rokotansky, actual name, recast in the form of Tom Hardy. To discuss the now quadrilogy of Mad Max films, their themes, pleasures, and the impact that George Miller's Road Warrior has had on apocalyptic cinema, I'm joined today by Thomas Flynn, lecturer in classical languages here at Campion College. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Colin. So, this was actually your suggestion. I'm going to throw you under the bus here. This is a a series that you particularly... Throw under the bus is not meant to be... I don't... I was thinking, as long as it's not under a war machine. (laughs) So many people getting just chewed up by wheels in this this series. But this was a a series that you particularly... I don't want to say loved. Is loved appropriate or...? Uh, yeah, I, I like those films. Yeah. I have a lot of guilty pleasures, and Mad Max is one of the ones I'm less guilty about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard about Mad Max. I went to boarding school. This will come up again in other podcasts. And, um, you know, boys at the school say, oh, there's this film, Mad Max. And some had said they'd seen it. Some probably pretended they'd seen it. And there was a whole collection of movies like that where I was not allowed to see them. And a jolly good thing, too. Uh, and, and so getting into adulthood, I decided, you know, I should get around to watching some of those. And I think I'd seen Road Warrior bits and pieces on TV, but uh, nothing else. And uh, so I started at the beginning and went on. And uh, so a few years ago, I, I remember I, I, I watched Mad Max for the first time. I thought, wow, this is quite something. It's stripped down. I think I'm more enthusiastic about Mad Max than you are. Uh, and then there's The Road Warrior, um, which is a great ride from start to finish to a very killing finish. And then there is the craziness that is Mad Max 3 Beyond the Thunderdome. Excellent. I have a lot of questions about that one. Yeah. Yeah, well, there aren't many answers that involve making it a Mad Max film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like Beyond Thunderdome. It's just not really part of the series. And then I, I watched them all again before getting around to watching uh, Fury Road, uh, which I watched for the first time and so far the only time uh, the other night. And uh, so that's how I got into the series. And so I have the, the opposite experience, actually. I was aware of the Mad Max films, but not particularly interested in them, I've got I've to be honest. But when Fury Road came out, something about it, because it's a visual spectacular... I was interested and watched that film and adored it. Like, just fell in love with that. Spoiler alert, we'll, we'll get to talking about the fourth one later. But I was so fascinated that then, based on your endorsement, I went back and acquainted myself with the original three films and was surprised, actually, at how disparate all of them are in many ways. Like, there's the through lines that uh, mm. you can see from the beginning leading all the way through to Fury Road. But I, I was surprised that each film has its own unique qualities and idiosyncrasies. And that was what I was hoping to do today, is if maybe we could talk through each of the films and maybe what it is 
in particular that that marks it out from its brethren? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, the the thing I was thinking first, I was thinking I need to find some kind of pun for apocalypse. <laughs> then I was going to make a thing about how I couldn't find a pun for apocalypse. And then I think what, what sums them up is it's it's apocalypse. How mm. <laughs> you just named the episode? Thank you. <laughs> so it's Mad Max is the the world's coming apart, but it's the world as we recognise, and there are artistic reasons why it has to be like that. And then there's... Budgetary reasons. Well, budgetary. Well, yeah. they couldn't afford to film with lots of extras in the back. They, they couldn't afford to film regular films, so they filmed it on deserted places and then made out that, you know, society was falling apart, <laughs> and that's why. Um, and so, so it wasn't that they just found a rubbish beach, it's just that everything had gone to pot. And or, then or in the second film, where they just clearly raided a sports warehouse and yeah. just put on like as well, much sort of cricket gear well, um, the, that takes place after the the bombs drop so that kind of makes sense but, but they still have cricketing gloves they still have like, well I, I think the cricketing gloves will probably survive the apocalypse so, <laughs> you know. and then and then there's mad max 3 where obviously everything's completely and they're trying to rebuild but it's it's uh, when we get to it but it's it's i, I don't think it's really a mad max film and then, really? and then Mad Max 4, of I would course, agree the second half of it is bewildering. Bizarrely, I'd say, and pun intended, <laughs> the second half is when it begins to get back on track. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, That's a train that. reference, people. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's go back to Mad yes. Max 1. So we'll, we'll start with the first film. Again, I'm coming at this with extremely fresh eyes. So I, I was really struck by how unique the first film is in comparison to its sequels. It's uh, Obviously, it's more stripped back, as you said. It's more budgetary thing. But also, the, the main character, he's not the apocalyptic wanderer that we know of the later series. He's a cop. Could you talk a little bit about... Well, Max Rokotansky is... Rokotansky. I can't even get past yeah, that. Why would so they... good. How do you pick that name? Maybe someone won a competition. Max Rokotansky is an officer on the main force patrol. Difficult to think of. I suppose you could think of a more bland, unassuming name. And he actually doesn't turn up for the first few minutes. It's there are other p- police chasing down this lowlife called the Night Rider. Nothing to do with the great kids TV show from the 1980s. Oh, he... Claim that, but uh, maybe I think he was programmed. He yeah, he's programmed into it's uh, all one he's big kid. conspiracy. Yeah, I got it now. Yeah. Anyway, so they're chasing him down because he's stolen a police car, and they're chasing him down. And in the end, they chase him off the road and kill him, causing his death. And that's the motive for the his mates, his low life motorbike riding mates, to come and take their revenge. This on the is toe cutter in the game. The toe cutter and Johnny Boy and uh, what's the guy with the silvered helmet called? Oh, and Candelini. Candelini. We, we hear that name several times, Candelini. So they, they all go up and they go in after and they get their revenge. And that's that's the motive for the film. But it's So Max is just this happy-go-lucky cop. And, and, and you know, you, there's, there's an essay in this, not seriously, ladies and gentlemen, is um, that you can find out when does Max become mad? And I think the answer I say is he's always a little mad. Um, there's a scene earlier on where he's saying goodbye to the wife and his son. And his, oh, yeah. his service pistol, his, his son is just playing yeah. with the service pistol. So obviously Max is slightly nuts already. <laughs> then when, after a series of dreadful events, he, he goes really off the rails. And he's, he becomes the Mad Max we all fear and admire. 
Yes. The so, one I mean, you need with you on the apocalypse. Yes. We're, we're going to... I'm, I'm just going to put a blanket spoilers on all of these films. I think even Fury Road is... Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So the, that bad event is the death of his uh, wife and child who are slaughtered by... Well, not, actually, not even slaughtered. Just the, kind of run, run over. Run down. Yeah. Well, it's, um, there's a, it's quite an interesting... Between the opening chase and then the ending chase there's a a certain mirroring so in the opening chase which is comic largely there's a scene there's a classic one where um, there's a child in the middle of the road as the cars come Mm. down they just zip zip past him no innocent bystanders get hurt but of course that is not what happens in the mirror scene at the end where they ride them down and Mm. kill them similarly the way Knight Rider dies is he crashes head first into a truck and the last shot you see is of his eyes staring yeah, wide bulging open. Eyes. Yeah, bulging eyes. Every film seems to have yeah. bulging eyes. Yeah, it. well, similarly when uh, the toe cutter. Uh, so did I say toe cutter? It was Knight Rider at the beginning, then the toe cutter dies at the end. He rides his bike straight into a truck and he goes right under the wheels. And and the, the last eyes. thing you see is the bulging eyes. Yeah. So there's a sort of there's a pattern there, but of course it, at the end it's, it's much more different. And that is the thing that sets Max off and he becomes this crazy guy I was watching the scene just now and I was thinking are you meant to believe it because he looks like he's falling asleep is this a dream but no it's 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 it's, it's a brutal revenge in a, in a world that's falling apart I, I mean the the thing what sets it apart is there's still some semblance of law and order and they have to be on the side of law and one of the guys who arrested at the beginning of the film <laughs> yes. um it, he this managed to walk case. he's managed to walk free because none of the witnesses will turn up and so it's procedure whereas of course that that's not something that happens in the later no. films when they've got a malefactor they'll just kill him well yeah i mean they don't even allude to any kind of police or no or there's no police there's no law there's no order it's just i like that you noted that sense of the the shape of the narrative there because that's one of the things i find in a weird way so contradictory about that first film it's so straightforward it's as you said it's just a revenge cop film in a way like a mm. like a can't even think of an analogy but but a, a, a grindhouse perfect perfect so character who's gone through an utterable loss uh, who basically freaks out and goes on a revenge spree. But that's the last 15 minutes of the film. The rest of it is this weird, meandering miasma of... Max goes on holidays. He literally goes on holidays. The, the worst rural attractions you could possibly think of. Let's let's go and get a new uh, wheel for the car, sweetie. It's weird. It's, again, not anything that I expected going into the prototypical Mad Max film. No, no, because it, it can't be. It's, it, and then I, I think that's... So I don't, they weren't intending to make a whopping great series. It's just this thing. And movies in that time, they move more slowly. Um, let's not forget that. Uh, I, if you think about it, so his, I, I worked out watching it and then working out when it was filmed that his sprog, the, 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 the child's called The Sprog, must be about the same age as me. And yes. I was 41. So yeah. that's how long ago this film was. And this is a toddler who can't talk. Yeah, yeah, so... It, it, that there's that, and also it's it's just the sort of it, the whole point. The reason why he goes away is you think, ah, oh, this is what because you know that Max goes mad and he goes mad because he wants revenge. Is his friend Goose, who's a motorbike cop, also an MFP, and he is brutally murdered. Deliberately, he's um, set alight. Does he die though? He, no, he's... no, no, he's certainly ah, yeah, yeah. That's that raised a theory. No, he, I don't, I'm not sure he dies, but he's he's um, horribly burned. Yeah. And Max sees him in hospital and thinks, that's it, I'm getting out, I can't cope with this. And then he goes off on holiday. And, then, and, and you kind of think, oh, he's, 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 he's not going to do it. And he actually, they lean into that for a long time. He goes yeah. on holiday, he goes up to the northern beaches, wherever it is, up the Great, Great Ocean Road, I don't know what. 
and then terrible things happen and that's it he's like right I'm back and I'm gonna I'm gonna get these guys and he does and as you say it's the last 15 minutes but anyway hold on to that thought remembering that uh, Goose is horribly burned for oh. later uh, dealing with the later films uh, are we in mm. Fury Road no not in Fury Road oh, okay well so the, the first film does sort of it, it's surprising that it didn't really take off in America because it as I think I mentioned in the intro, it seems like the perfect grindhouse film. It's cheap. It's a little bit kind of nasty. It's... I think that's probably why it didn't take off. It yeah. really was probably a little too cheap. It was went gangbusters here. Yeah, it's but, huge, um, massive. I think people are kind of interested in in the states after Road Warrior came out. Certainly, it's it's with Road Warrior that the Mad Max franchise seems to have cemented itself. Certainly, internationally. Well, yeah. I mean, it was cheap, and it was so it, it was done on the cheap precisely for those reasons. Like they make it set out enough to society falling apart, so they mm. don't have to film anywhere expensive. And similarly, there's a scene where when Johnny comes out of prison and he goes to meet the gang on the beach. And oh, this is in the first film. In sorry. the first film, yeah. And quite rightly, Toe Cutter doesn't trust him. Um, and, and as it turns out, Johnny is prepared to sell them all down the river. It doesn't work for Johnny because it's too late by then and Max is going to burn him alive. But one of the gang turns up with a... It's a very strange film. It's, it's really seen. He, he turns up with a um, mannequin, a female mannequin. <laughs> right. and, and, and they do... It, it's a very art house kind of scene. And I realised recently, of course... It's probably because they couldn't afford to have a real actress and then kill her, so to speak, you know, with all the necessary special effects. So they just leaned into that and just have Johnny blow the head off a mannequin with a shotgun. And then Toe Cutter pulls him aside and says, you must never, ever open your mouth. Uh, and so so the, that part of its charm, I think, is its, its, its low-budgetness. Mm. But um, that, I think, is probably why it would never really take off internationally, because why would you watch that when you could watch Star Wars or whatever it was playing <laughs> yeah. in America at the time? I think, uh, I've got to admit, I think that's still my, my issue with it. I can kind of take the budgetary limitations that kind of force them to, to make these, not compromises, but they had to lean into the cheapness in a way. But I just can't, the meandering, I can't get over that it just, it's called Mad Max, but you only see him really be mad, overtly mad, I guess, in the last 15 minutes. And then it just ends. Like, yeah, I know it. everyone's dead, but like, yeah, it just, just ends. With him. It, it, what can I say, Colin? I think it was just the style at the time. Aside from my, um, my, my nitpicks about the plot, it certainly delivers what it offers. It's got some vehicular carnage. Yeah, it's, it's just... it is, and it's not just those two scenes at the yeah. book ending. There are also those uh, scene where they go and cause havoc in a small country town impressive like stunt work too yeah. there's a motorcyclist who gets his motorcycle just rams him in the back of the yeah. head as he's sliding it's the the kind of visual spectacle that you can't get now because people die when they do that but with no budget in the middle of the Australian I we shouldn't say outback but away from metropolitan the areas the suburbs of Geelong <laughs> in, in the 70s I guess you can get away with that yeah. so I can acknowledge that there is a certain charm in, in that yeah I, I think I think if, if they'd made no other we'd, we'd acknowledge it as a minor Australian classic but if you don't have the time the 90 minutes come on people if you don't have the time <laughs> to watch Mad Max fear not because the essential parts are explained in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior Known in the United States as The Road Warrior because no it's in Mad Max. Yeah. And it's self-contained enough. Um, oh yeah, you don't you don't need to see the first yeah. film to see the second film and get it. 
You even get the the wife and child getting. Oh yeah, you get the lot. You get the lot. All all explained very quickly. So just and then it explains the other bits like there's been nuclear war. Yeah, which is not clear in the first film. I don't think I don't think it has happened at that point. It's sort Um, of implied that there's some kind of. I think energy is going down, um, which is one of the hilarious contradictions in the Mad Max stories. (laughs) Yes, fuel is running out, and so to collect the last fuel, we're going to lead a large. Bike and car gang, yeah. which cannot be the most efficient no. machines. And also, we need a couple of guys with flamethrowers for no reason. Just, just fire them in the air, gents. Yeah. That's going to really help with conserving the fuel. And the last remaining petrol. Well, okay, that's a perfect opportunity to segue in. So, Mad Max Two: The Road Warrior, as you said, the, the first film can be can be summarized in a couple of minutes in the beginning of the second one. But to me, very different beast than than the first film. I think it's actually what people imagine um oh definitely max is mad yes and 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 you've got the apocalypse is there now you've got the the wandering you know in the wasteland kind of figure you even got his car that he only gets his car in the last couple of minutes exactly yeah so what changes do you think were made between the first two films and what were particularly helpful what i think they decided what the people liked about the films they decided correctly and they gave it to them (laughs) So more Mel Gibson, more um, Mel Gibson, up front. more cars, uh, um, less going to get ice cream and getting much run over. less ice cream. In fact, the apocalypse is terrible. People, I mean, Matt, Mel is reduced to eating dog food. Oh yeah, and that, that's pretty yeah. much it. You, you really got to wonder why anyone has any will to live. It's, <laughs> it's it's an awful existence. The people of the petrol place, we'll, we'll call it Gas Town, even though that's the wrong name. Yeah, they're in that little outpost led by Papagallo. The names, I and they want to get out. The yeah, they want to. They want to. They want to get out and get to the coast. And apparently, for some reason, these horde of of biker gear wearing, Mohican haircut sporting <laughs> marauders have no interest in leaving the vicinity of Broken Hill. And <laughs> they have no interest in going up to the Sunshine Coast or, or, or finding some bit of ocean or something to sit next to. Uh, so, so long as they can get out, they'll be okay. But, but these are all the sort of the fridge logic that we apply to this film. But it's really, it is about the cars and the chase. Yeah. I, certainly, I, th- I think consciously George Miller picked up the hero with a thousand faces and... Uh, I've heard melded, that, yeah. melded, melded uh, Mad Max's character to that. Although he, I, I will notice because I, I was aware of that when I went into the film, so I was looking for it. But he still keeps Max a little more cynical than that hero would usually be. Like th- there's the moment where he's made their arrangement with them. He's he's gotten them the truck that they need, and they say, "Come with us." And it, it's toward the end of the film. That's the moment where he should be invested, and he still just takes his car and goes. It's only because they he run pulls a Harrison. Pull, oh, sorry, he pulls a hand solo. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean the, just to be clear on this, this film delivers. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. You, you start up and his V8 is gunning down the high, an empty highway, being chased yeah. by marauders and leads one into a horrible accident against the truck, which becomes what they need. And uh, he's being chased by Wes, who is not the sharpest boomerang in the armory, let's just say. And that, that slightly gives it the edge over um, Fury Road, but we can argue ah. about that. We'll argue, we'll argue about that when we get to Fury okay. Road. So, so because you, you know, you get the you get the henchman you can get when there aren't that many people left after the bombs have dropped. Too bad if he's not terribly bright. You know, he's yeah. he's committed and he'll do what he more or less do what he's told. He then encounters a he finds a gyrocopter mm-hmm. and he beats the snake because the guy whose gyrocopter is is using it to catch people. Um, yeah. He's using it as bait. Presumably, then he can steal. They use the snake to kill them and yeah. then can steal whatever they got. But uh, 
Uh, so that's the gyrocopter played by... Is there a Char- suggestion of cannibalism with him? Yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. Yeah, the, he's always licking his lips and... He's mind like, you, I wouldn't want to eat a body that had been killed by a snake. He's hungry for that dog food. He's, yeah, well, uh, I find some other way to he kill He says him. he's going to eat the snake. But I've got a very good recipe. <laughs> it's very tasty. So Bruce Spence, Lord of the Rings fans, uh, extended edition fans. He's the guy who plays the mouth of Sauron oh, yeah. in the extended cut of Return of the King. Max, of course, defeats the gyrocopters trap and captures him and because the gyrocopter says oh I know where there's lots of fuel and uh, so Max takes him along using the dog rigging up the shotgun oh, um, yeah. the great thing about these films certainly the first three is how little use of guns there is yeah um, and in the second film the, the, he doesn't even have shotgun shells that work for the well that's the point what yeah. the gyrocopter I'm just going to say Bruce Spence um, that what Bruce Spence doesn't realise, of course, the dog has got his mouth around the uh, on a string attached to the trigger. I mean, seriously, you would not want to mess with that dog. And, and he's just sitting there and thinks that at any point the dog's going to pull the trigger. Only later on he discovers the gun was empty all the time. But even when he does finally get some shells, um, they don't work. Yeah. In fact, that gets called back to in Fury Road. It doesn't go off. The, the great thing in, in Road Warrior is I think the only gun that works is the one Humongous has. The revolver he I uses to right, um, yeah. blow apart the steering columns. So, so the way they kill people is the old-fashioned way with crossbow bolts and cars. <laughs> and, and improvised explosives. And improvised explosives. And, uh, and um, razor-sharp boomerang. Oh, that's right. The kid. The feral, the feral kid. kid has a... You know, if I was in that little compound um, where they are... So the feral kid is this unspeaking child who he has a little hole he comes out comes out of the compound throws his killer boomerang around kills some people then goes back in uh, you know I'd be objecting to that I, I think I'd close that hole for safety's <laughs> yeah. sake even possibly leaving the feral kid outside uh, so Max then he encounters the main point of the film he encounters these people who are refining they're refining oil making petrol and they're, they're going to head to the sunshine coast they've got a postcard and they know where it is <laughs> And they just need to get out of the way of the get escape from these marauders because the marauders have no interest in going to the beach. And, and so that, that leads to the main plot of the film. Max says, I can get a truck for you. And so he goes and gets the gyro captain to take him to the truck and he brings the truck back. Uh, again, just, just pointing out that he doesn't do that for any noble reasons. They have his car and he needs gasoline. He wants so his car, a, he wants yeah. gas, and he makes a deal. But then this is the way they work too. So he rescues somebody from the compound, brings him back, and the guy said, I'll get you all the gas and you like. But he dies on the way and says, yeah. the contract... And this shows should actually set off because Papagallo turns out to be quite a cold character. He says any contract you had died with him. Uh, but uh, we should talk a bit about Papagallo's ethics himself. But, but anyway, so we know they're the good guys because they've got sort of nice wide range of ages. They're not just young people. They're wearing white, and they're also, wearing yeah. white. It's um, not the, black leather. Yeah, it's it's white. the bondage gear, uh, apocalyptic lunatics outside the walls, and inside it's all. Well, well, there there are people with very eighties hairdos, so manes of hair, and again, as I said before, like white sports outfits. They've they've got like hockey gear and cricket stuff. Is, is there? I always think that obviously it's budgetary. They they couldn't just create whole wardrobes for everyone uh, from whole cloth. But I do feel like there's a bit of a subtext there where the people inside the compound are about rules, sports games. Like you even you mentioned that the, you know the leader of the group is like you made an agreement with him. I didn't make that agreement with you. So it's it it's kept very transactional and governed by rules. Whereas the people outside, you're what's his name? Humongous. 
Yeah, Summon That's Bane, basically, is the way I think of him. But Humongous, a better name, he and all of his cohorts, they're wearing literally bondage gear, they're leathers They're hideous, they're terrifying. Yeah. Humongous Humongous has burns. This is the callback. There was, I believe, at one version in the script, it was going to turn out that Humongous was Goose. Really? That was actually... Max's friend, who got um, horribly burned. And Steve Bisley didn't want... Well, (laughs) yeah, and it clearly isn't him. It's another guy. Yeah, and, and, and they are just the nastiest bullies you yeah. can imagine. They are even worse than the gang from earlier. They're swagging around, they've got the thuggish power, and no one's there to stop them. They and kill the dog. Once you, as John Wick has shown, once you kill the dog, you this, are This is you true. Done. But, I mean, for all the brutality, they kill the dog off screen. Yeah, you oh, just yeah, hear yeah. a little howl. You don't, you don't see the arrow going through him. Uh, but but I, I always smile at the thought, yeah, so you really should be on bicycle, you know. <laughs> or maybe some... Some electric, solar-powered... Oh, that hardcore, would be yeah. cool, yeah. <laughs> uh, some electric, uh, electric solar-powered <laughs> electric cars. Electric cars. Uh, but certainly the the second film has the scope. There's, there's still the, the budgetary limitations that I don't think they'd really overcome. They didn't have unlimited budget, and yet what they put on screen is pretty fantastic. Like yeah, it's, it, the it is. spectacle is there. And you're not just watching a high-energy car chase... Um, said in the modern era. so it's a high energy car chase in the apocalypse and it's it is great yeah. watching those it's it's very good like I can understand why it took off and really did set the image that tapped into the zeitgeist of this sort of future wasteland I, I think George Miller at one point was filming from one of the cars buzzing around the tanker and uh, Eddie very nearly had an accident and the stunt guy said oh, I think you'd better just not do that again <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it is. It's, they it's drive so... into a camera at one point. And, um, <laughs> There's it... lots of driving over cameras and low cuts yeah. and things that would be aped visually by... Uh, I mean, the, the Fast and Furious films pull off a lot of the, the same techniques to get that kind of intense speed. And, and, and part of it is, is, is what cinema always was. It's this is something that actually happened. And, 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 so, and that, that's the great thing about the older films is, is these are things that actually happen that they sometimes there's a lot of times with camera trickery and obviously no one falls off a building onto the ground they fall onto crash mats but it is something someone actually does so they actually are driving like this yeah and uh, they're driving over these obstacles and that's part of the thrill of the film I say I, I say I laugh about the whole petrol thing but that's if you if you if you're bothered by that you're not in there for the right reason well can I say that because uh, I was thinking about it as I, I watched it and, and again I, I, I was being glib before but there is moments where flamethrowers are being shot in the air for no reason and you do kind of wonder what is the logic there but then I was thinking about it and everybody's acknowledging that gasoline is precious and yet it's being endlessly wasted with abandon in these films and it, it might seem counterintuitive but the, the way that I, I grappled with it in my mind was it's kind of fitting this is an apocalypse that has been brought about by human waste and greed and stupidity and it's almost like this last of humanity circling the drain of destruction it's, they're blazing their way into oblivion with the same petulant, spiteful abandon that they destroyed the world with anyway. And and this is a theme that I think they pick up on in Fury Road, which I'll get back to. But it's the idea of these people who are just like, screw it, let's just... Yeah, they are not... These are not the best best of us left yeah. behind they're, they're just as bad as all of us so we've we've killed people to get this precious commodity now let's just hoon around in the sand for a while like it's it doesn't seem to make sense but in a way it does kind of capture just how 
horrendous this spiteful, wasteful future is. But there's one bit right at the end, one bit I draw attention to. So after um, Humongous has been killed and all the other little Wes is long dead, they, the remaining marauders, and you, and you look at them, they're just guys in leather bike jackets. And, and they sort of shrug their shoulders and ride off, thinking, oh, well, that one's over so what are we going to do next I don't know let's just drive this way let's get an ice cream yeah probably yeah. well that'd be nice wouldn't it they should, they should actually join forces <laughs> um, but we need to really talk about the deal Max eventually strikes so Max gets his deal he gets his car mm-hmm. he leaves his car gets totaled he has to find his way back and he he's rescued in fact by the gyrocopter captain and he comes back to the compound and of course rules are different now mm. and eventually he, he manages to persuade them to let him drive the truck out and Papago says yeah sure okay you can do it and then so there's the huge long chase the truck is the center because the truck contains all the fuel mm. and the people are getting out in the bus and then there are other cars and Papagallo's in some kind of dune buggy with a uh, American f- football an ice hockey helmet or something <laughs> Um, I don't think it'd be that much help in a crash. <laughs> and Papa Gallo, I think, gets killed. And, yes. Um, yeah, the uh, but, and the truck, the, the warrior woman, that, that is her name in the credits, the warrior woman, she's clearly a major asset to the group. Mm. She's competent, she's cool in a crisis, and she's guarding the, fu- the precious, precious fuel. So also is the extremely competent mechanic. Yeah who manages to defeat Max's booby trap on his car very quickly. Uh, well, so there, there's all that fuel in the truck. Of course they would put all of their best people on there. To look after it. Yeah. And then, so Max, the warrior woman dies, the mechanic dies. Yeah. He's killed, I should say. And then Max eventually crashes the truck, and he comes to size, and he realises it's not gasoline that's <laughs> pouring out. It's sad. Yeah. So Papa Gallo actually had some of his best assets. as and a base himself. Of- and well, he's, he's sure, Max. You can take it. Um, uh, he, this is pretty cool yeah. to take that truck in order to get Max to to be the bait yeah. that they'd go after. So the bus, which actually contained all the fuel in drums inside it, would would do it. And so you get to the ending, and it's this is why Mad Max Two, I think, has an edge over the others. Is this that you get to the end, and it's just the the end does not contradict the rest of the film. Yeah, it is bleak. There is no hope. There is just existence. There's a nihilism that yeah. views everything. And, and, and the, the, it turns out the narrator is the feral child from the thing. <laughs> says, that was that... the last time I saw Max, the road warrior. Which is another thing that, not in the original film, but, but something that they pick up in all subsequent versions, is that Max, or Mad Max, however he's called, the Wanderer, uh, however they refer to him, is a creature of myth. So he, he turns into this story that gets told to future generations of the, the man with no name, the wanderer who came in, solved our problems, and then left. Again, this is a hero trope that is extremely familiar. You're Clint Eastwood's in Westerns, etc. One of the films he's actually referred to as the man with no in, in Thunderdome. Yes. Is the man with no name. Um, because they never, I think you pointed this out earlier, but they never actually say Max in that film, do they? Yeah. No, he's, um, anyway, yeah so we get to the end of. Road Warrior, and we get into Beyond Thunderdome. That's one we should skip over quite quickly. No, 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 no. Oh. You have to, you have to justify that film to me because that is that's a film. I and I understand Beyond Thunderdome. It it uh, came out a few years later. It's criticised. I've I've read by some fans as being too sanitised, too Hollywood. But to me, it, it struck me that the first half of the film is very much in line with 
a Mad Max film. You've got your apocalypse, you've got your cynical hero, you've got... But you haven't got the cars. You don't have the cars. <laughs> but but no, they, they... So Max is driving along, his car smashes, and he ends up... No, he's not. Oh, his no, car he's is no fuel. He's wandering. He's being taken by camels. Um, right. So um, the, the filmmakers, they've moved further away from the Australian coast. They're now in... Get really getting into the outback there. It's in film made in the vicinity of Cooper PD, not that matters. But Max is having his car towed by camels. That's right. And then it is the gyrocop. This is what's hilarious about this film. And it makes more sense to think it's not a Mad Max film at all because Bruce Spence is flying something, he's flying a little light plane. Yeah. And he comes down, he's, he's got a son. Is his son the feral kid? You kind of think that. You think, oh, that must be who it is. Um, it isn't, of course. He's a Bruce Spence. You've got the same actor, very distinctively, with similar traits, playing a completely different character, which is part of the sort of hilarious madness of the film. Um, and they come in, they steal this guy's car. And Max is, well, we'll call him Max. Um, but he is left by the side of the road. And fortunately, he has a trained monkey who's able to throw him his boots. Oh, monkey. I was and expecting they... that monkey to die. After the wife dies, the kid dies, the dog dies, that monkey the had monkey a stays target. The monkey, and, and later on, someone correctly, though for no reason, because it's not a that great, well put together film, <laughs> someone correctly identifies that the monkey is able to find Max in the desert and bring water, the water <laughs> he needs to survive. Anyway, so Max then comes to Bartertown, run by Aunt Entity. Mm, um, Entity, that's her name. Aunt sorry. Entity, played by Tina Turner. <laughs> so she, Bartertown is this capitalist's heaven, is it? Uh, the mm. libertarian, where everything's for sale. You just bring things to Even Bartertown. Even life. Even life itself. And it's run by Aunt Entity, who seems to be this benevolent, if stern, mistress. And she just has one problem, is this crazy guy downstairs who's... So this place is run on the fuel of, uh, how do I put this, pork iron feces. <laughs> and uh, so it's run on the methane you get off that. I don't actually don't know how many pigs you need to generate enough methane to run a small town, but... Um, they seem to have it worked out. And he is, he's called Master, and Master is a small man who is riding on the back of Blaster, who's a very big man. So they are together Master Blaster. And so Max is hired to kill them. And I should also say that Tina Turner's, sorry, auntie, auntie's, one of auntie's sidekicks is Angry yes. Anderson That's playing right. Iron Bar. In a, not, a very bizarre fluff of hair up the back. No, he's got, he's got it's, it's like some of the orcs in Lord of the Rings. He's got this, in fact, I, I think quite consciously, a lot of the imagery in the Lord of the Rings movies was ripped off from Mad Max. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a sort of a thing on the back that has a pole with a skull on it, or a oh, doll, it's a, it's a doll's head. No, it's, it's a doll's head. a giant feather duster. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, I thought it was an affectation because, I mean... Angry Anderson is a bald man, and yet there's a battle of mullets going on in that film yeah. between Tina Turner and the MacGyver on steroids quaff that yeah. Mel Gibson. But is he has to cut on. it off because only yeah. Tina can have a mullet. That's right. I think that's why she lets him live at the end. Spoiler alert: is because the the mullet's gone. Yeah, so so she's like, okay. okay my right. my real enemy has been defeated. So I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, there are there are all sorts of characters. Uh, International listeners, I say UK listeners, Angry Anderson, you may not have heard of him, but you have, if you remember Scott and Charlene getting married in Neighbours, that was the song playing. Um, 
What a reference to Paul. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I, I know him. <laughs> but uh, this film is not entirely successful. And I think the best way to look at it, you want me to justify it? My justification to you, Colin, is it's not a Mad Max movie. Okay. It's, it's got Mad Max in the title. It's got Mad Max in the credits. But at no point is he called Max. He doesn't do that much Maxy things. He certainly he doesn't, mentions doesn't being a cop. cop. He, he does says, mention being a cop in the day. Yeah, Rigsby or whatever his name was in yeah. Lethal Weapons, a cop too. <laughs> it's Rigsby. <laughs> this, is a, this is Who a, had a mullet? Yeah. Yeah, Lethal Weapon 5. That, it all tracks now. Or was it two and a half? So I think, yeah, Danny Glover had enough of this pig stuff, insert, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was out of there. But certainly, the, to me, I would argue the first half feels Mad Max-ish. Whether it's, or not, apocalypse, yeah. it's an apocalypse movie. But the second half turns into... It's, it's like we... It, I don't know if this is the bane of all uh, third films in a trilogy... But it's the Ewoks appear. Basically, it's like little kids are all the, of a sudden in the middle of, of this apocalypse. It's films. a cross with well, it's 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 just take the children from Lord of the Flies and crash them in the desert. But they're not eating each other. No, they're going not. Crazy. They're, 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 they are building society yeah. in a, in an alternative way to Aunt Entity's Bastown. Yeah, it's actually a bit of a children's film foundation. Yeah, and, and it, by the way, and I love that idea, like the the conceit of that that these children removed from civility have created their own sort of weird pseudo religion, and and, and again yeah, in contrast to the to the capitalist world that's presented by Aunt Entity's. Uh, world, this idea that they're this weird little uh, loving community of friendly, like I, I get it, but it's a Mad Max. It's, it's a Ma- Ma- Max. We've missed the point of the film being called Thunderdome. So, so Max, what he has to do is kill Blaster, who's yeah. the big guy with Master Blaster in in Thunderdome, where the rule is two men enter, one man leaves. With I can't remember the name of the actor, but there's a great cameo performance by it. and actually I don't think did much else who is the MC the combat oh, yeah. proceedings yeah. dying times here <laughs> and so Max having worked out already that Blaster does not react well to high pitched sounds for some reason happens to have a dog whistle he blows it in the ring and this bit I, I, it's where the film I think makes bad choices because it turns out that Blaster is clearly mentally disabled mm. he's Clear, the actor, um, I, I think, quite quite clearly has Down syndrome. But the way Max has been presented as a character is that shouldn't be a problem for him. I mean, thank God for his humanity. Oh, that's the, the is, way you're... Yeah, it. it shouldn't be a problem for him. And, and, and he won't kill him. And, 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 and I think, well, that's good. And, and that's a, a, yeah, a nice choice. To, that's and that, like. that is when it begins... That's what you want him to be. That's when he begin, it begins to become what I'll call a children's film foundation film. I don't yeah. know if you ever saw those with these... Um, no, there's a very Goonies vibe when yeah, it is. toward the end of this film. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Goonies was like that the whole way through. And, yeah. uh, th- th- this is precisely... Yeah, it's Goonies. And they and so he then gets thrown out of... He, and then there's not only... Is, they've got all sorts of weird customs. They've got the Thunderdome. They've also got the wheel, which everyone forgets. <laughs> Break your deal. Go to the wheel. And so he ends up being thrown into the desert. For some reason, with a large fiberglass yes. clown head he's ridden on yeah, I, that, so they must build a new head every time well, they've got a, or they've got a large supply but anyway they send him out into the desert with a donkey and the donkey and it kills her and dies and eventually he gets rescued by these lost children so what has happened is clear has happened these children have crashed in a plane you think again? You see, you think the dark thing. Oh, they think the captain's coming back for them. Actually, the yeah. captain decided, and so they all the plane crashed, and the children were the oldest children were very, very young indeed, and they've grown up for years and years in this this lush oasis in the middle of the desert, filmed in winter in in the Blue Mountains. Apparently, so oh. they're all pretty cold, <laughs> and and they've built up some, and it, they don't 
play on it, but it's obvious that the children have grown up and have started having children of their own. But they all speak at a... Well, where else are they coming from? No, that's what they're right. They all speak, including the older children, they speak at a very babyish level. You're thinking that it's something horribly dark. The captain has told these young children that he's going to come back for them, but actually he's decided that he's just going to leave and um, because he can't carry them all and, and get out. But you can actually see in the background a carving where they the captain is clear the captain's intentions are entirely honorable yeah, and he yeah. says he's going to he's going to try and get help what help he can get for a plane that's crashed in the middle of the desert <laughs> i don't know but max for some reason or other decides they've all got to get out no um, no well, no that's not it can i also raise the question so that plane must have gone down before the apocalypse during the apocalypse i think is what they oh, said they tell the right. story this is okay. there I, I mean this is what what's so attractive about this is is the children in this I'm always a sucker for cargo cults and they've got a sort of cargo cult approach they've, they've actually got TV screens and they yeah. hold up the screen and they talk through the screen <laughs> and they explain what has happened and the apocalypse <laughs> and they and it's clearly a story all the children know and they and, and they all know all the good bits and they join in and so this brings us up to speed but uh, at some point uh, one of them decides that she's going to that they need to get out and um, Max tries and stop, tries to stop her, including shooting his last remaining yeah. bullets. And she just keeps going. And she apparently acquiesces and then sneaks away in the night. And they have to go. And he has to go and rescue them. And he finds them eventually. He catches up with them uh, eventually at Bath Town. And they have to get out. And they escape. And they use the plane. They manage to turn him to the good or something or other. And Oh no, that's it. They break out with because Bl- he realises that Bl- Master was a good guy all along. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's because the reasons. I'm not going to say this is a well-made film, Colin. <laughs> uh, and they, and they, they break out with a train that happens to be in the middle and they smash their way out to Bart Town. <laughs> along these train tracks, which are still they in still working. Function. They're yep. still fine. Someone was taking care of them. Uh, someone must have been grading them, yeah. <laughs> and they and, and there's they, and I always think yeah they realize remember it's a Mad Max film so they ought to have a car chase they have this yeah. kind of crazy half-hearted car chase uh, they escape eventually in the, there's a sort of Thelma and Louise moment they escape the, the, the beautiful Mad Max type moment is Max realizes somebody needs to use a car to clear a path so they yeah. can get enough runway and so Max does that and then he, of course he's stuck behind and he's in the power of Aunt Entity who just sort of smiles at him and that's the end of the film. Just... Not quite. They end up in Sydney. The Harbour Bridge is down, but also apparently the Sydney Harbour is now empty of water, mm. so possibly the Pacific Ocean is as well. And, and, but they're there. They've got I the think light. all the... that water went to Waterworld. Yeah, well... Ma- split it off into Waterworld two. is an unofficial Mad Max movie. Okay. And, they, and, and so the last bit is you hear this sort of we announcement of the story and the hope for the future but Max of course is back yeah. pretty much at square one and hope hope just seems like a platitude throughout the the first three films however I well, do not think in the, not in the third one I, I think the third, the third, I say the third one is best viewed as not a Mad Max film <laughs> and then take that aside and then we get to I think the, uh, the zenith of the franchise I'm sure we're going to argue about this but Fury Road uh, released in 2015. What a film. Just, wow. Just... I thought it couldn't be. See, I only watched it very recently. And I thought, oh, it probably isn't as good as they made out. And the first few scenes, I was, I, I didn't, I, I did not want it to be not good. So I wasn't 
I was still disappointed when the first piece. I thought, this is kind of slow, and he's got this stupid narration. And, and who are these guys? And I don't <laughs> care. And then, but eventually, when it really gets going, oh my god! And yeah. to be fair, as we've acknowledged, Mad Max takes a long time to get going. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, uh, but I, I, I say if you view it as a different kind of film. But uh, once it does get going, and Furiosa goes off the road, then um, yeah, it's just this amazing chase movie. Yeah. The intro, I think, this may be slightly mangled, but I believe the intro says, a man reduced to a single instinct, survive. It's the first time that Max introduces himself to the to the franchise, and that's the way that he describes himself and civilization. But it's also just that, that pairing down of... Uh, cinema itself to the just like visceral experience like that that's not to undermine the plot which i think is actually the strongest of, mm. of the four but it's just about experience they like take all, all of the action all of the visuals everything that the themes that have been running throughout the series they just heighten it into its most hyperkinetic intense surrealistic vision so you get all of the, the glorification of car culture and stuff turns into this whole Viking mythos of mm-hmm. Valhalla and chroming and witness me and all that stuff. Uh, you, you get all of the questions about mankind and what led to the destruction become text, not just subtext, but mm-hmm. text like who destroyed the world. You've got uh, the, the actual possibility of hope as opposed to it just being this word that gets bandied about with this collection of women who are trying to escape you know, bondage and, and imprisonment and being literally milked and turned into sex slaves and, or, or like birthing partners, they, they break away to create their own society effectively uh, as a response to this sort of hyper-masculine carnage that's been created by men ruling the world. It's, it's actually got stuff to say... Meanwhile, the car chases and the action, and the, it's so good. I mean, it is in many ways the best bits of all the Mad Max movies yep. put together. And, and put together seamlessly. Like, there's not, a, as you said, there's not really a, a, a lull or a dip. Once it gets going, and I even find the, the beginning fantastic as well, but one, once it gets going, it's so effortlessly paced, even though obviously it took a great deal of effort to, to make it look that well-crafted, but it's... He didn't waste those 30 years. Oh, man! It was like he was waiting 30 years just to tell the... To me, anyway, the quintessential... I mean, it, so it is. It's an apocalypse story. It's a rebuilding story. It's a story about car chases. It's a story about machines. It's a story about hyper-masculinity and hyper-feminism all this. Yeah. But it's, um, it's, yeah, it, it is a very good film and it is extremely well made. Yeah. You, know, you only appreciate that when you just watch a badly made film. How well edited everything is, it just, it allows you to follow it. Yeah. Um, and you can follow it from the first viewing. And I'm there, I know because, and I, I, I did wonder, I think, well, what are you guys really, what are you on? But, um, it, it's, it's one of those, you know, you'll get more out from repeated viewings. And it also, I mean, it does everything. Even like Mad Max 3 repeating um, an actor playing a similar role, they repeat an actor playing a similar role. Ooh, Hugh Keysburn, a.k.a. Immortan Joe, played yeah. Toe Cutter in Mad Max. Oh, you s- I did not know that. Nah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, the same. it's the same actor, yeah. And Toe Cutter is, uh, that would be a very difficult role 
to play because it's kind of a thankless role to play but you've got to go so extreme whereas he, he, he's the thinking man's um, marauding gangster yeah. <laughs> but i mean he, just he, only, some ice cream. he only really had the, the <laughs> he only really had the furry shoulder pads to really uh signify aesthetically that he was he's a total the... weirdo yeah uh whereas yeah he what is it immortan joe immortan joe immortan joe has all the stuff. He's got the the weird plastic. Uh, well, he's got hazmat ghastly suit thing skin and, diseases, and he's yeah. got something covering that up. And, and he's got like talcum powder that has to be like yeah, some, blown some onto him. And, antiseptic thing, and, and some kind of breathing apparatus that goes around. You never his see. Neck I don't think you ever see his face. No, you only see well, a thing over his mouth. The one time you get a look at him is after his whole face has been like I, ripped off. Briefly, so, yeah. yeah. But again, a, weirdly, a more subtle performance in uh, Fury Road because he actually. He's not just kind of screaming crazy, angry. He, he's also actually got some genuine lament and sorrow about his child dying and his wives being taken. And again, he's a horrible monster, but you know there are more shades to the performance. What's interesting is loads of ways. I mean, there's just a, a an aside. I mean, there are loads of bits. I, I'd heard that in Fury Road, there are loads of bits that are just oblique references. So, for example, Mad Max starts with sorry, Fury Road starts with Max having a, an enormous mullet which then gets shaved off just like oh, yes. in yes. Mad Max 3 and um, which similarly so he comes into this society that's being rebuilt even though they're much better organised in, um, <laughs> yeah. in the Citadel than they are in or at least much better able to control things keep things clamped down yeah far more oppressive and, yeah I, I mean crazy and nasty in the, oh, yeah. uh, in, and again, um, they've created a pseudo religion to keep everyone in, in line. Uh, in, um, in, in Thunderdome, beyond Thunderdome, there's a guy selling water, which Max just waves a Geiger counter at, and it turns out it's highly radioactive. And uh, but in in Fury Road, Immortan Joe has, we learn from other sources, access to a gigantic artesian lake, and yes. he just pours it open. And the starving, thirsting to death multitudes out hanging outside the citadel come down and try and get a few drops of this gigantic waterfall. And then he just turns off and says, don't be addicted to water. Yes. Oh, the moralizing is so fantastic. Yeah, that idea of water controlling you. Don't, don't allow it to control you when it's... He's the one controlling everyone else. And also, there's not much being able to sneak around because... She's just going in a straight line. You yeah. can see line of sight to her supposed destination. She takes a truck and she just says, we're turning east and goes off road. But I do love the, the oppression is so absolute that her, what is it, like commanders or whatever, the, 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 the war boys who are working for her don't even question for a second that, that she could be, as you said, it's a straight line. She takes a left. Obviously, the, the plan is pretty enormously changed. But they just accept it. Oh, it's Fury Road. Well disciplined. Yeah. So no one it's would not ever... like It's not like um, Road Warrior, where um, poor old Humongous just could not get the helm. <laughs> and, and as I say, it's well done. That's one reason I, uh, in some ways, would prefer Road Warrior to Fury Road, is because it's not one of those things where you just have, you have to have incompetent villains. They are actually, they are presented as being incompetent. It is not... Um, or not entirely competent, not perfectly competent, and so and and so therefore it's more plausible when the good guys, or at least the guys you're rooting for, escape. Whereas in Fury Road, they are the sort of the omnicompetent army that just drives you out, and they can they, and they obey orders instantly. Whereas Wex, you know, at, at some point, um, Humongous has him, has to have him chained up because he's an insolent puppy. Which is again, it's why I adore the themes of Fury Road that. 
you're right. It's it's this organization that is so devoted to their duty and so whipped into line that to defeat them feels far more satisfying to me. Mm. Uh, and particularly when it's this gathering of, of women and uh, you know a, a, a war boy who has sort well, of changed allegiance. And... Yeah, we can argue about the end, but you see, I, I, I buy into that film for the chase and I don't terribly care about the stuff <laughs> I don't like. So uh, the chase is great and it's beautifully shot and uh, yeah. Go see Mad Max Fury Road, folks. And I do also like, there. there's lots of parallels. As you said, the, the film calls back on a lot of older, older material. There's lots of parallels being drawn between Max and Furiosa. Even to the point where the kill switches that Max famously had on his car for the first two films, mm. Furiosa has it on the truck. Well, she's so. got a kill switch in the conventional sense of the term. He has yeah. a kill switch. <laughs> <It's> an explosion <laughs> switch, yeah. But but that idea that like they're, they're, they are being aligned, and also I think you could... Maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but you know, Mad Max in the second film has the broken leg, so he's got that like mm. brace on it. Whereas Furiosa has the missing arm, the, mm. the bit of a brace on there. But the way in which they're different is that Max is a cynical vagabond, whereas Furiosa is utterly devoted to a cause. She she makes the decision to help these women, and uh, will we, never bend from that you know we we watch her anguish she's the one who actually goes through an emotional arc in the film whereas uh, tom hardy's max and they do all this at reasonably high speed yeah and and and, and what's what the lightness of touch is you buy it yeah absolutely all this characterization is they're working out who they are and it's all done what sometimes during the chase so that you mentioned nux the um war boy who had been using max to supply him with blood for reasons that (laughs) Oh, I never understood. Well, they're all sick and ill, yeah, so they need a top-up of, of healthy blood, yeah. As much as you get. And then Nux, um, possibly because he's got Max's blood in him now, Nux, uh, eventually, he keeps trying to bring them down and stop them. And at one point, he, he gets rewarded by Joe for doing it. And he goes back again, he succeeds, he gets in. And he, it, it, it is slightly cliched, but you smile a bit as he falls in love with one of the, um, with one of the women. They're going to be happy together. I This is... What slightly annoys me about the film is is, is they, they do that so that they can then you can give you a character that you're invested in whom you can then kill and be sad about. Yeah. And I thought they should have killed either Furiosa or Max. Hey, whoa. So I, I thought I, I was cynical. I was thinking there is no hope. Um, I, that 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 artesian well that's not going to last forever. Mm. Um, and um, there's no sign of rain. Uh, that's what's going to solve their problems. And they, so I think I, I'd thought that tr- they should they should have acknowledged the fact that the whole situation is hopeless. They're all going to die out eventually, and so they should have just brought it all to an end. And with Max dead in a blaze of glory, or Furiosa dead in a blaze, but uh, instead instead. Max just was okay, right? That's great. Nice meeting you. I'm going to go on. I don't really understand the leaving aside from that's, that's what he, that's has, what to he do. has to do. Yeah, yeah. that that always strikes me. I mean, it, it made more sense in at the end of Road Warrior because he. I mean, why on earth would he want to stay with these people apart from anything else? Yeah. In fact, he can't really. But they they used him. But here it's like that that thing that has been impossible. The the, the promise of a, a society that's not run by carnage and chaos is there it's offered to him like with Furiosa he could actually watch kindness and hope develop uh, but he just goes so yeah yeah I, and it, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's done very well either way I mean as I say I, I, I think it would have worked better if if because what, so what happens we should explain is if they get all they get all the way to the end of the road 
they think they're finally going to get to the green place and actually they discover it was that ghastly bog they just went through and the green yeah. place itself has died and there is nowhere for them to go so they go all the way back and they punch a hole through and they end up taking over the citadel in not 100% plausible way but well again it is pretty ridiculous that the entire army gets cleared out to chase these people and no one's left and the war boys who are left will just accept whoever is there but again you buy it because it's more about it's it's more a sensory experience, and and the characters are having having this sense of uh, uplift and hopefulness, and so you buy into it. Which again is the same reason why I buy into a complete bit of a logic that you just mentioned that the war boy and one of the escaped Immortan Joe wives have a bit of a chaste romance in in the mix yeah. there. Which again you buy it because more from the side of the war boy that he's feeling the first touch of human kindness from anyone. <laughs> so he, he obviously would be swayed by that. A little less convinced that the wife who's been a sex slave for uh, you know a number yeah, of years would but, go, cool, here's a freaky little war boy who believes all this stuff. I'm going to fall in love with him. Yeah. But again, it doesn't need to go as well, far I, as I love. Think, I think part be. of it is just the art. It is the we can pull. It's like having it all done during a car chase. Yeah. Um, and uh, is we can pull this off. And it is quite... It is astonishing, really, that the slate of hand they pull it off. Yeah, well, it, it is just fiction, folks. We don't. It's okay. <laughs> but but it is. It's 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 one of the lovely contradictions that I find about films that make them so fascinating. Is in some ways they are so blunt and thundering and in your face about what they're talking about. But in a weird way, because they're so overt and un- unapologetic about it, you actually get this wonderful opportunity to embrace the extremes of the metaphor to play it out again i know a lot of there were not a lot but there was some criticism at the time people wringing their hands and complaining about feminism taking over their films when fury road came out but terribly feminine people get upset about anything you put it there's one too many women in star wars now let's complain on the internet so uh, it happens constantly and i do remember there was a, a pushback about it but that's why the film is so wonderful because it just says yes. That can be the metaphor. That can be the message that we're sending. I don't see why it matters. I mean, it's all if you think it's implausible that a biker gang of older women would be uh, looking after themselves in the apocalypse. Sure, I'll, I'll say it's implausible, but all of it's implausible. Exactly. And and these it, guys it, are going around bare to the chest in <laughs> sunshine yeah. in an atmosphere with, I reckon, the ozone layer is long gone. So, <laughs> what are we? Yeah, implausibility, not much. Exactly, it's completely ridiculous. And and again, that finally we actually get to, you know, we've gone through all the nonsense of the first films. We saw where the kids were hiding. In the fourth film, we actually get a vision of where some of the women are. And uh, again, I appreciate it. I like that they actually built that into the story and made a point of contrast with the civilization that had crumbled before. That maybe there was a promise in the future by embracing the other side of that culture anyway that's for another time perhaps should i ask uh i think it's pretty clear but what was what would you say is your favorite film in the series you're okay, pausing i'm, I'm going to expect abstra- i'm going to abstract um three because yeah. i think three is fun but um it's it's a it's a mess um and it's not really a mad i'm, like, I'm gonna oh, sorry you're saying it's you're not, you're not going to include not a mad three. Max, okay. uh, i do like mad max and I don't, I'm not so, I, I, I don't find, I, I don't think he's meandering. I, I think there's a point going on. I've, I've never been bored watching the, um, that bit in um, 
the, the, the long interlude in the middle, the going on holiday. I like holiday movies. Um, Not but, even his weird little monologue about I, I, I think I, when I th- he walked behind his dad and he was so proud of him like that's like a, a practice nighter speech that's not yeah I know well they I mean it was a basic it was basically a student art film so. <laughs> that's what it feels like to me that's, there's still some pretty good car chasing going on and but I, I think yeah Road Warrior because the, the kicker the way Road Warrior turns out and I watch it again I think oh, how does it go oh yeah they got this bit and it all fits together and then final anticlimax it, it, yeah. it's, so it starts with Max and then it ends on him and he's just not even back to square one he's back to minus ten certainly it, I would imagine that it's a very encouraging film for young filmmakers to, to show they had a bit of a budget but not kind of the extreme budget that you would usually expect on a post-apocalyptic film and yet what it created was so incredible you're not going to knock up Fury Road in your backyard nah. on, on the weekend well, I have seen Star Wars done for twenty dollars <laughs> It was quite good. <laughs> My vote, uh, I think it's pretty obvious, would be uh, Thunderdome. Um, I, I, no. Yeah, you clearly like the kids. Yeah, it was, it, it was a great that that whole Lord of the Flies vibe. <laughs> no, of course it's it's Fury Road. Uh, I think Fury Road is the culmination. Uh, it's the the witness me of the uh, Mad Max series there is talk of another one coming but you almost wonder could that even be topped well that's probably what we thought about fury road that it couldn't really well how can they remake a mad max movie without mail well very easily i'll throw in that final question actually did you note a difference between the performances or did you have a preference yeah, between the thing about and mad and max fury road is mad max isn't there so much more and wearing other a cam- mask for like a lot of it, yeah. yeah um it, it, he's not mel gibson but so what yeah. it's he is the character he needs to be, which is this strong, silent type. Agreed. I like his physicality too. In a weird, I'm not like a, a huge Tom Hardy like nutcase, but some of it when he's just gesturing with the gun and telling people to move and do things, <laughs> yeah, yeah, works Grunting, really well. Yeah. Uh, j- just before we go, there there is ancillary uh, Mad Max material that we've both vaguely aware of. Well, I've I'm... played a video game. You have read. Some... I've read the comic books. The... There's no. I liked Fury Road, and I got to the end. I thought, "Oh, there are comic books. Cool." And the comic books explain how you get from the other movies to this one, plus a bunch of other stuff. They explain who Immortan Joe is. He's a to explain why he's has that sort of ability to command. He was a colonel, and he led his team, and they took over this place with the water in it. And yeah, that's, so they, they explain stuff like that. It explains. Uh, apparently, they're based on the background material that Miller was giving to the actors. During, the, during the shooting, yeah. So it's, um, they, they're kind of worth a look if you're into comics. You can get them on Comicsology if you have a Comicsology account. If you're not into comics, don't worry about it. Uh, which, do you play the game? A Fury Road game? or uh, It came out around the time of, of Fury Road, but it's more universal than that. It's just kind of taking the character, in inverted commas, of uh, Mad Max and basically putting him in an apocalyptic wasteland... So open world. So you drive around in your car and you do missions for people and you try and build up your car. In, in many ways, it's actually the perfect representation of that idea. Is, you know, you're out there on your own. You're going to meet insane people who are going to physically attack you. And, and even the idea of kind of wandering across people and maybe doing them a favor in order to get you know, some sort of reward. 
so it, it works very well. It's as far as video games go, it's a bit generic. It's kind of cobbled together from a number of different franchises, but it works really well. So uh, again, if you're not going to have that tight through line of a narrative, uh, it's more of a meandering experience. It works really, really well. Those were some of our thoughts about one of cinema's most enduring icons. If you had any comments on anything you've heard or want to offer feedback on anything we've said today, please do drop us a line. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. Uh, So I want to thank Thomas for uh, joining, witnessing me today. Thank Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, Thank you for sharing your thoughts. And we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. This episode brought to you by a Morton Joe's Wacky Wasteland Water Park, where wheels and wives meet slips and slides. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.